Howdy, everyone, and welcome to our Deconstructor of Fun deep dive podcast series where we dig into various topics and give you actionable tips and unique insights. I'm your host, Jen Donahoe. I'm the co-host of This Week in Games podcast and a gaming marketing and executive consultant at Jaden Inferno Consulting. So our topic today, we're going to unpack AR gaming. So first, just a little context setting up why we are going into this topic. Uh, there's been a lot of news going on from our friends at Meta and Apple. So Meta parent of Facebook announced that the MetaQuest 3 mixed reality headset is set to ship on October 10th, and the base unit is priced at $499. Zuckerberg called it the first mainstream mixed reality headset, which is designed to blend the digital and physical world worlds together. Sound familiar? I think we can think back to our Twig podcast where we talked about the Apple Vision Pro. Uh, the Apple Vision Pro was announced in mid-June uh, of this year and showcases very similar benefits, but its branding is a little different. They call it spatial computing with a mere price tag of $3,500-ish. Uh, clearly, there's a new trend towards this blended world and blended words, no matter what the branding is, uh, augmented reality, mixed reality, spatial computing. It seems like there is a hot trend towards the mixing of these things together. So following this trend are new AR games. Lego Brick Tales is an AR game that lets you play with virtual Legos. And a new Roblox experience were both announced alongside the MetaQuest 3. All this made me think, can these trends reignite interest in AR gaming on mobile devices? Uh, since we're talking about this predominantly in a headset, what can we do on mobile? So to unpack that, and help me dig into the topic is an expert in the field. Uh, Asad is the CEO of Jadu AR. And just a little background on him. Asad Malik is an augmented reality pioneer whose critically acclaimed narrative storytelling projects position him as a visionary in the space before completing his undergraduate degree. He has directed next-gen AR experiences featuring icons like Serena Williams and Little Nas X and runs the AR company Jadu, launching a first-of-its-kind multiplayer augmented reality fighting game for mobile. That is super impressive stuff. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Thank you so much, Jen. So with all of that background, it sounds like you have a lot going on in music and entertainment. Can you give me a little bit more background about you and how you came to focus on AR for the game industry? Yeah, so Jen, I've been just on the internet since I was a teenager. I grew up in Pakistan. I was making websites when I was 11 and reading Paul Graham essays. I had dreams of Silicon Valley and whatnot. And at around age 18, I got lucky enough to actually get a scholarship to come to the U.S. And I actually ended up going to a liberal arts school rather than a more technical place because I felt I had some charting technical chops. I've been building some iOS apps in the past. And so I thought that maybe going to an art school would give me a unique perspective that I didn't have. And that's exactly what happened. I went to art school and very quickly I realized that there are a lot of rich kids in this country whose parents have already made it. And they're not all that interested in tech companies and tech CEOs. In fact, that's looked down upon. And you know, the thing that was compelling that you know, people were more interested in was art and creativity and expression. And very quickly, I realized that what I want to do is not just technology and not just tech products, but do it in a way that's expressive and creative. 
And with that in mind, I wanted to pick a medium and stick to it for a good part of my life. And while in college, the three mediums at my disposal that made a lot of sense for future growth and potential were AI, VR, and AR. And AR is the one that I really gravitated towards because VR was actually an industry that was starting to mature. Oculus was already out there. A lot of people were building VR content. AR was, that was not the case at all. Snapchat filters didn't quite exist then. So AR was purely thought of as an enterprise use case using a warehouse. And there weren't much explorations around what the possibilities were for entertainment games. And for me, being able to actually adjust your own reality felt so much more compelling than going into a synthetic reality, just conceptually speaking. So with that in mind, I collected a bunch of money and bought the Microsoft HoloLens, which was the first AR headset I started working on. And we spent the first couple of years working on headsets. So it's ironic, honestly, that I'm here representing mobile AR, something that I used to supposedly hate. But yeah, that, that's how I got into AR. That's hilarious. I, I remember the HoloLens. I saw it on some of those, those early presentations and using Minecraft or tabletop games. It was really just amazing how you might mix the idea of, oh, I think they used it for, uh, for Minecraft at the time, where you can almost enter your Minecraft world, which seemed really interesting and fascinating. So have you ever made a game before? This is really interesting that you're combining these things. Where did you get the idea of blending it with a game experience? Our initial projects were actually narrative-driven experiences. We were building 10 to 15 minutes long branching narrative experiences on industry, the HoloLens, and then all the magically. And we were taking these to film festivals, so Sundance and then Tribeca. And they did really well at the festival. Like thousands of people saw them. Terminal 3, which was my first AR project, it went on a really large tour. It was at the Barbican Center in London for a whole summer. So it was really exciting to see headset-based AR be witnessed by all these people and shown at all these exhibitions. But what we were learning was there was really no room for scale and growth there. A lot of the projects we were doing were, at the end of the day, one-off experiences that would be dead after they were over. And... So the things that we were realizing was, first of all, in order to reach scale, um, in order to reach a larger audience, which to me is a critical thing to do if you're trying to develop a medium is to do it with people. So you develop socially what it's supposed to be. So mobile was starting to become the clear pod forward for us. Um, and the other thing that was starting to become clear was that we wanted to build something we can iterate on and not just have a V1 of. And so a mobile product that is entertainment related is what the frame had become. And that's not a large jump from a game. Very quickly as we were working on it, it started to become more and more like a game. And through various discoveries and pivots, we've landed in the position we are in right now. We are making a fighting game, a very specific form of AR game. It's interesting. Being in a more iterative environment feels really smart and like a way that you can continue to work with your audience to make sure that you're making the and giving the best product but it feels like there's a stigma against ar in games in the game industry from all of the failed niantic games to the memes about the apple vision pro so can you walk me through a little bit of the history of ar games on mobile and why do you think there is this stigma that we see today I, I honestly would compare the stigma that you're describing to the stigma that people had with vr initially as well um, because you might remember those Google cardboard boxes 
were going around, right? People would put their phone in it and they would experience VR. And the New York Times was starting to package them up into people's shipments. And a lot of people experienced VR that way. But the problem was the VR was basically 360 videos, right? People would put their phone in, they would watch a 360 video and think that's what VR is. But it wasn't six degrees of freedom. You can't move in it. You're really in a sphere that you're just looking around in. So people's first experience with VR was really not a fully fleshed out VR experience. And because of that, I think that generally in the cultural consciousness, people associated VR with you know, motion sickness and you know, clumsy experiences and everything else that came with it. And I believe that the same has happened with AR, because if you look at mobile AR, what, how do people experience AR? It's filters, which are once again, not designed to be spatial experiences. They're designed to be 2D videos at the end of the day. They're supposed to help you record a 2D video. So that's not a fully compelling AR experience. And then on top of that, Pokemon Go, which, you know, was obviously massive and spreading awareness about the medium and one of the largest games of all time, huge respect there for everything that Niantic accomplished. Um, but the AR was map based. You're going around on a map. It's very GPS oriented. That's what their goal and mission is to get people out into the world and scan locations, things along those lines. But the AR as like the AR experience itself was very limited. All you could do was throw a ball. And for the longest time, like plane tracking and everything was very you know, simple. So there isn't much to do in AR. You do it once and the novelty is gone. There's nothing else to do. So people turn off their AR mode because there's nothing to do. So. Between these two experiences, and then the third piece is just marketing activations. There's been tons of just web AR marketing activation over the last five years or so, where a brand comes in, hires an agency, they do a one-off quick project and split it on into the world. Once again, often bad tracking, often really quickly churned out concepts, nothing that anyone really cares about. So in my view, the reason people have a bad taste in their mouth for augmented reality is because no one's given it an honest shot to make good and make it compelling and make it lost, put the right amount of resources on it. And that's really all we're trying to do. So what do you think that from a game perspective, I mean, obviously that's a marketing perspective, but from a game perspective, what is everyone missing about what AR can do for mobile gaming, especially as we look ahead to the next couple of years, where can this really go? And, and what are you guys doing to look at this differently? So I think the key thing with AR, what people really want, which that's the thing, right? Like when people think of AR gaming in its most optimal form, the, the concept is that your world is a video game level and your world, not from a bird's eye view, like map view, it's from your view, it's a video game level. So your immediate surroundings become interactable and, you know, you can play a game in it if you play this game in a hallway, it's going to be different than when you play it in a field, like the interaction with the space is what matters. So what we're doing differently, which it's, there are a bunch of pieces that have come together for us. And the reason they've come together is because we've just been working on this for seven years now, like not this specific game, but VR is a medium and have been thinking about it. And so the pieces that are going into our fighting game that I think are unique and compelling is first of all, it's a third person AR game. And that's already a unique perspective because generally AR is thought of as a first person medium. You are the player and you interact with your world. In our case, you get an avatar appears in your space that you control. Now, this is a simple twist, but accomplishes a bunch of things that make the whole game play a lot more compelling. 
first of all, it means you don't have to move around too much. No, you can move around. You have enough movement and space for this to be an immersive experience that's spatial, but not enough for this to be a tiring, exhausting experience that, you know, you're hesitant to get into in your free time. So you can sit on a couch and control your avatar that's running around in space. Uh, as a result, the gameplay is also a lot more visual because you're controlling an avatar that's interacting with your world. And that can become a video that gets posted elsewhere as well. Then the second layer that we've added on top of this is we've made it multiplayer. And when people think of multiplayer AR, generally they think of local multiplayer. So two people are in the same place together, looking at the same content together. That's kind of conceptually what most people imagine. Now, there are a lot of technical challenges with that one, but to map up a space with tracking enough that both people's experiences are synchronized. And also it, uh, an experience that there aren't really many social reasons for, as far as I'm concerned. When you're meeting someone in real life these days, it's rare anyway. People are stuck in their houses, they meet someone. We don't want them on their phone looking around and doing things. At that time, fight each other in real life. So what we want to do was create a scenario in which multiplayer in AR can be remote, where someone from a different location can join your session. You see them in your room and they see you in their room which makes both of your experiences compelling because for both of you, it feels like a stranger has entered your space and their ghostly presence could taking up space in your room. And that's really compelling. So that's been a second layer for us that's new. And the third one is the fighting. You know? Like we wanted a mechanic that was simple. We didn't want to do here is an AR metaverse and many things can happen here. Many vague mechanics can take place here. We wanted one mechanic that we can develop at least to some critical degree of depth. And we chose fighting because it's something that's universal. Everyone understands what it is and it's intense. It feels like something and we're trying to make an uh, immersive, intense experience. So a stranger showing up in your room and starting to beat you up and you having to defend yourself and fight back is an intense experience. It's more than what people are used to in terms of you know, gaming and AR. So what are some of the other kind of positioning, how you're positioning this differently from other fighting games or other AR games? What are some of the insights that you had that led you to this idea of the execution that you have? I think the biggest difference that is between us and other fighting games and honestly, other AR games as well, is that, you know, we've operated with the medium being at the center of everything. Like our thesis was not, hey, how to make cooler fighting game or how do we build something new that's map based like our thesis always was how do we build ar that's never been built before that was critical right like we are we are a gaming company at this point because you know, the product we're building is a game but fundamentally we were always thought of ourselves as an ar company and we have made apps and games and other narrative experiences so AR has been at the foundation and these concepts that I'm describing of ghostly presence and things like that, they've existed for with us forever. Our narrative experiences used to try to accomplish that. There's something really compelling that happens when you see another human being in your space in AR that gives you, you know, either a compelling narrative experience or a compelling game experience. Because then when they're not in your space, when you're not looking at them through AR, you still see their ghostly presence left behind. So. You feel like someone was in this room, whereas they were, you know, they, they, and it's completely private. They don't see anything in your room. So it's actually like the most private way of having someone else's presence in your space. 
So that became the foundation. And on top of that, we've developed tons of UX, you know, smaller UX mechanics from position indicators to being like, Hey, look here, the avatar is here or spatial countdowns that happen on your floor wall based interactions where you can slam an opponent into a wall and your physical surroundings. Um, those are the types of things that we've been building out. And also when we started talking about mobile, we, it's so powerful. What is, at, what is you know, at a billion people's disposal right now is LIDAR sensors, really crazy processors, great cameras, slim form factor of gyroscope, so much ability for movement. And it's a $90 billion a year industry. And I can't believe that all the top titles are basically like glorified slot machines and essentially are you know, dumbed down versions of what's possible in a console and PC. Um, someone was recently telling me 70% of people that play mobile games um, have never played on PC and console. It's a completely fresh audience you know, that has, doesn't have much of a preconceived notion of what a game is supposed to be. And I think that what we're trying to do is show them that it can be a, a mobile game can be mobile. It might require being mobile to play it as in move around and use your sensors and even LiDAR to give you a compelling multimedia experience that just cannot happen on any other platforms. A few questions on that. And number one, when you say, do you have to be very mobile to on the mobile? Do you, does it encourage you to walk around or is it? Like more of a, hey, in your room experience. I, I'm just trying to get us versus the other games. Like how much do you need to go outside? So you don't need to go outside like Pokemon Go where, you know, there's an item you have to travel for it unless you have you know, some other mechanic that's making up for that. Um, in our case, you can fight in your room. Or you can just immediately in this room right now, I can open up the app and I can start fighting. And in terms of movement, it doesn't require movement. In theory, I could have the entire fight while sitting here, but at the same time, I do have to follow the avatar because it can move out a screen. That's a really key um, challenge that we face in the design for combat is you know, when people play Tekken or Street Fighter, both players are on the screen hundred percent of the time. There is no work required for them. They're just always there. All you have to work is the moves and the positioning um, and the timing, mostly the timing. In our case, your positioning and space matters and you following the player around matters. If the player, if the other player starts to get close to you physically, you have to move back in order to keep them in your view, right? So there's movement to that extent because the game is a spatial experience. If I'm sitting on this chair playing right now and the other player starts walking towards me, I will have to create room, but otherwise I'll be at a disadvantage. That's the level of movement it requires. It doesn't require you to really jump around like crazy and get a lot of exercise or something. It's mostly about framing the, the combat or you could move back a lot and then combat would be framed. But regardless, this kind of, your brain has to think about your space, which is unique. What we think of when we think of AR games, which are, and actually I, I would probably, I should probably correct myself in a way because Pokemon Go and the Niantic games are really geolocation for, and, and the AR is a a little bit of an afterthought as I play those or the Jurassic worlds, or, uh, there's, I think a few walking dead games that have AR features, but it seems like the geolocation is more important and you're a hundred percent focused on the AR as the core mechanic. You mentioned LIDAR and some of the technology when I was looking at it and the startup I was in, you really have to rely on some of the higher end devices for some of that technology. Are you going after that higher end kind of phone and 
Does that impact how you're thinking about where your potential audience is because of the spec requirements and tech requirements? So when we started building for a multiplayer, the main thing was that we have LiDAR and processors that are severely underutilized. People just scroll videos on their phone, but the processors are capable of tons more. Um, so when we started, what you were saying was a big factor of, okay, like we're going to have to target higher end devices. A lot of lower end Android devices or older iOS devices are not going to be able to handle the kinds of things we're doing. Surprisingly, we were doing holograms on iPhone 6S, and they were working enough for people to still have an experience with them that uh, wasn't possible otherwise. And now we're at a place where, you know, people don't really even have iPhone 6S, like, uh, or at least a large segment of the market has adopted newer devices. And the devices that were new three, four years ago are now like entry-level iPhones, and they have those LiDAR sensors. So like pretty much anyone on an iPhone, I feel pretty comfortable about and also all the top and android devices are like the large segment of android devices that have pixel devices and galaxy devices are good to go honestly and there are a lot of cheap android devices that have great processing powers all over the place uh, i think this will still struggle this year and next year in trees that have 100 200 android devices as a primary device i'm from pakistan so you know i'm very familiar with markets like pakistan philippines and india where that is the case. But regardless of that, in a couple of years, this problem is gone. And already it's gone for a really large segment of the market. I'm feeling very confident. Like we're not targeting some niche newest device possible. We're actually hitting a really large segment of the market for this. The games industry is experiencing unprecedented growth with global revenues projected to reach a staggering $268 billion by 2025. But with more players than ever connecting across platforms and devices, how can your game stand out against the competition? AppsFlyer has created AppsFlyer for Games to help you unlock your player's true LTV by providing a wealth of game measurement solutions, unique industry insights, and proven best practices. Our dedicated hub is packed with innovative products, industry partnerships, and unrivaled expertise to ensure your game brand adapts and thrives. We understand that every game is unique and AppsFlyer's data-driven insights allow us to cater to your specific needs. We know that in today's evolving landscape, staying ahead of the curve is crucial. Trust in AppsFlyer for games to guide you through this exciting journey. We have the tools, the knowledge, and the passion to help you succeed in this ever-expanding landscape. Together, we'll conquer new worlds, both real and fantasy, break records, and create gaming experience that leave a lasting impact. Get in touch with AppsFlyer for games today and unleash your game's true potential. AppsFlyer for games, supercharging the gaming landscape. Hey game devs, are you tired of dealing with complicated payment processes all over the world? Well, Exola's got your back with Exola PayStation. It has a simple, user-friendly interface that makes it easy for players to pay for your games and in-game content however they want. And because the Exola PayStation user interface is adaptive and accessible on smartphones, tablets, and PCs, your players will have a seamless experience no matter their preferred device. Players can save their favorite payment methods for future purchases, and on mobile, even charge purchases directly to their phone carrier bill. On the back end, you can customize your checkout with game-specific integration options like sidebars and iPhones frames, as well as change colors, fonts, and images to make PayStation look and feel like a natural part of your game. Ready to see Exola's PayStation in action? Visit exola.pro slash payments dash DOF or visit the link in this podcast description. Do you think that's why a lot of developers have shied away from technology like AR because uh, they haven't 
you know, thought that there was an opportunity there for market sizing. And it sounds like that problem's going away. Is the challenge very different now? Actually, what is the challenge with why ha- people haven't gone after AR and mobile? It's such an overlooked space. And this has been my question for like the last five years. Every year, I'm, are they going to realize that this is possible now? Like, are other people going to do this now? And every year, it's no one does it. And like, we're just quietly building all this stuff that is, has been possible for a while and no one's like looking at it. No one's putting resources in. And I think the reason, you know, there are a few different reasons. First is exactly what you were describing, the stigma that happened around mobile AR in general. People didn't think there was an opportunity. And then the people, the young generation, right? Because you have people that are established, people that are already making games. They'd rather make the thing that's somewhat predictable, right? Okay, I'll make this game and I have a sense of how this works, kind of have a sense of how I'll monetize and you're de-risking not operating in like a brand new medium or something. The people that are willing to take the risks are younger people that don't have a process yet. They're just getting into it. It can take a risk and explore. I think that because of Spark AR, Snapchat and TikTok and Instagram offering their own AR tools that were severely simplified right from full-on game engines like Unity, people got distracted. That's honestly, maybe I'm just not giving them enough credit for it or something because a lot of young people that could have gone out and built their own projects and games ended up building filters for no money and only and followers that don't even interact with their stuff anymore. So many people dove headfirst into the filter wave on Instagram just because at that time, if you could get approved for a filter, you could get 100,000 followers. And like that was the case for a while. But yeah. I personally find that it distracted a whole generation of AR developers that could have been building their own games. And we tried to not get distracted by that and stuck to game engines where there are a lot of possibilities and beholden to you know, some company's platform and how the distribution is going to work. This is a lesson we learned relatively early on Magic Leap and HoloLens where we knew that it, when we're building things on Microsoft's platform or Magic Leap's platform, Whatever content they want is what's going to get out there. And they don't want to dabble in a lot of the not so family friendly, like hardcore stuff or anything that's even pushing the limit a bit. Everyone just wanted either enterprise stuff or they wanted Pixar educational content that was incredibly safe. New mediums don't start with things that are safe. I'm someone had to take risks and there need platforms that are willing to kind of do that. And that's why we just stuck out by ourselves and despite the industry not getting funding, not getting attention, we just stuck to our own pot and we're able to raise a really significant round and like now have resources and a large team that's tackling these problems that, you know, no one else is really facing head on. In that journey, did you find that you needed to build your own engine or are you able to use a Unity? Many people just started building filters because of the you know, lower end tools that a Snapchat or an Instagram would give them. So how have you gone about the the engine or the development system behind this? So we're built on Unity. We've been using Unity from day one of seven years now. Obviously, Unity gets themselves into more PR trouble these days than they used to back in the day. But the game engines are incredibly powerful. Unity is incredibly powerful. There are so many things that you can do with it. They have been working on so many mobile apps are built on Unity. There were a lot of challenges with it initially, right? Um, you get some basic tools, but a lot of the stuff on top, we have to build ourselves. And that is the thing that we've also tried to do is not just add too many third-party things, make sure that we're operating on a layer that's not too removed from just the core engine. 
So we build tons of stuff ourselves and a lot of the solutions are not some core engine level solutions that need are needed for this medium. They're actually UX improvements that are needed, that they're more player facing problems that I believe haven't been solved rather than technical problems that haven't been solved. So that's really been a big emphasis for us. Interesting. More UX problems. Unpack that for me. What do you mean by that? AR is any new medium is intimidating. You don't know how people are going to behave in it and people don't know how to behave in it. You open it and you're like, okay, I'm in my room. What not? Where do I look? What do I do? A lot of it has been about what is the experience? How do we make it easy to digest, easy to operate, easy to onboard and understand? And, um, small things like, oh, use this arrow to direct them to where this action's taking place now, or wait for them to look here before this thing triggers, or let them control their avatar, bring it here so they can do this, block the avatar to, to this game object so they can't miss it, even if they try to miss it. Like those are all the kinds of things that games already do, obviously, in order to accomplish a smooth gameplay. But in AR, some of those challenges are unique. Like, you know, you're operating in this unique setup where you have a camera that's running live in the background where you don't have any control of where the player is looking. Camera is entirely out of the developer's control. It's with the player. And so there are a lot of unique problems that have solutions. So someone just has to work on them. So we have a patent that was granted recently um, and we have two more underway. Now we're I, a lot of this is, as I said, solving design problems and creating things that people can digest. And a lot of the baseline infrastructure to build these kinds of games between ARKit and AR Foundation and Unity exists. You can get all the plane tracking data that you need. Now, the next step is about how do you take that data, abstract it, and make it useful for you as a developer to create an experience that's compelling for the player. Oh, that's so interesting. And so let me let me see if I have this right. By you building these, you know, user experience capabilities on top of Unity's engine and their foundational platform, are you building something where brands might want to come to you to build a game? Like what's your portfolio strategy after you launch? And by the way, what's the name of this fighting game? The fighting game is called Jadu. Okay. Yeah. So it's funny how that has happened. Obviously, Jodley doesn't sound like a straight up name for a fighting game, but just like we've had a unique process, we're going to stick to a unique name. Jodley has been many things over the years, and now it's a fighting game. That's just core thesis remains the same. We want consumer AR to work on phones at a large scale in a way that people haven't seen before. And this is the avenue that we're going to do it with now. Um, so what you're saying in terms of you know, yes, we can create a lot of compelling experiences that aren't possible on other platforms. We have a really strong baseline. I'm incredibly proud of our team. You know, we have people that were very key people at Unity. Um, our principal engineer, practically, you know, he started the GitHub repo that is the Unity input system. So like we have really senior people that both in terms of design, our design team has an epic system that they've come up with so many new things in AR that no one's done before. Our work is taught at UC Berkeley, USC, a lot of those places now. Our engineering team has built an incredibly modular code base that can be expanded into an SDK and more internal tools to expand uh, the type of stuff that we're building. Um, but at the same time, we're very clear about not getting distracted. Um, anything that is a dead end, one off kind of thing, it's not interesting to us. We want to stick to something iterate on and keep growing. And with that in mind, the thing that we're 
most interested in terms of next steps of expanding this is Apple Vision Pro and more headset oriented experiences. It's going to take some time before that is a large enough market to be compelling for a startup like us that has to, you know, show product market fit over the next few years. But it's something that we're already starting to have access to their SDK. We have a developer on it full time. So we want to have a cross-platform AR game and IP and world that is native to this media that exists on headsets and on phones. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing a full-on deconstruction first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. We always talk about how cross-platform is something that players and consumers are really looking for. Cross-play is a little bit than cross-platform. Cross-platform is the ability for you to have your inventory and your kind of your wallet go across things. Cross-play is the ability to have somebody on an Apple Vision Pro headset playing somebody on a mobile device. Are you going for cross-play eventually? Is that where you're headed? I think it's early to say right now The we have access to the Vision Pro SDK and it's it's not very elaborate as of right now. It's going to take some time for both the tooling and for Apple's appetite to also get to the point where fully flushed games can exist um, on the platform. I think it's going to take some time. I believe that early on, it will be more narrative oriented experiences, like 10 to 15 minute shorter experiences that are more like compelling showcases of the technology versus a fully flushed cross-play game. But that's absolutely something we can get to. That's absolutely something that is technically possible. And even if we don't get to cross-play, cross-platform also is compelling because it gives you a happening to have millions of people that have access to the world and accounts and the characters and everything. And they aspirationally know that this is going to exist on headsets and it already does for a smaller amount of people. That is an exciting idea for people because a lot of young players know that they have their life in front of them and that AR is going to be a strong medium during that time. So it offers the game like a sort of conceptual longevity as well. Now I want to pivot into my world, which is a little bit on marketing and launching new games is hard, especially on mobile. So it seems like there's a little bit of a marketing challenge to overcome when you're going to try to launch a brand new fighting game. Jadu fight is it Jadu fighting or just Jadu? Yeah, it's Jadu fight and AR is how we're framing it. What are some of the marketing challenges that you're seeing and, and how do you want to help 
players find this experience? I'm just curious as a marketer. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one because on one hand, we are happy that there's a thing people can play and it's actually as accessible as the App Store, right? Because we come from the world of headsets where in order to get someone to experience your project, you have to ship a container over somewhere and they have to break out a set, put out the thing. A lot of things go wrong. And so just the accessibility of pace to search it on the App Store is already so massive. And then on the other hand, there's the challenge of what you're describing. It is a unique format. It is a unique type of game. All things considered, as far as mobile game releases goes, this is a particularly challenging one. Our strategy is going to be iterative. We're going to learn a lot when this goes out and we're not treating the release. This is it. This is like the bulk of the project. Like we're developing a lot. We have single player campaigns launching next month. We have a lot of new characters launching early next year. We have tons of functionality that is getting flushed out because the fighting game concept didn't even start till early this year, till March or something. We didn't even have multiplayer functional and we didn't even know if we would have it because conceptually the idea existed and, but we were still developing it. So it's all happened really quickly for us. And now we're at a foundation where unknowns are mostly tackled. So a lot of our emphasis is going to be on fleshing out the content. So the, the marketing of, you know, we're going to launch on Tuesday and we have some influencer videos and things like that, that kind of show the gameplay, tell you why this is different, how this is working. And we are going to be targeting younger people that don't have too much of a pre preconceived notion of what things are supposed to be when it comes to AR. And you know, we're going to be running ads, just straight up user acquisition on TikTok and Snapchat, particularly ideally app store search ads and some of those as well. Um, so a lot of the emphasis is going to be on ads plus influencers. Over time, we are very interested in events and forming a real culture around it, or having young people get into something that they are excited about, that is new, that's unique for their generation, that something previous generations have not had access to as young kids. And throughout all of this, we're going to wear the badge of, of AR with pride rather than with any fear of stigma. Like I think that AR is the challenging piece, but it's also the competitive advantage. It is what makes us unique and interesting. And that's why people will play this is because they will give AR another shot and we will give them a good experience with it. And they would want to come back and they would see improvement month to month. They would want to stick around. That's really um, the way we're treating it. That's interesting. I think that from ads on Snapchat and TikTok, obviously that makes a lot of sense given that's where the use of filters and AR feels most natural and with that younger audience. It's like a, a good audience alignment in a position, again, speaking as a marketer here, trying to figure out, like, how do you bring this to life? I think it's going to be very interesting how you set up and deliver that visually. It's it's a lot of the challenge that people had when, you know, trying to communicate 3D or VR experiences and using some of the tricks to make sure that through an ad that really delivers on that fantasy. How are you approaching the creative for the ad, ensuring that that still delivers the core fantasy or that immersive experience you're looking for? Yeah, so we have a couple of categories of creative that we're running and testing. And you know, whichever category performs better, we can double down on it. And the categories, the first category is this full AR category, which is where we have developed some internal techniques that I'm really proud of that produce really compelling results where 
we record a certain location with a phone and we use a certain app that allows us to capture not only video, but also spatial data. So we can actually bring that scene into Unity and overlay our fighting on top and make a really compelling, really high fidelity, punchy video that shows AR taking place in the street. Um, that's a more high production value. And we put music as a great way to culturally align with the things that we want to do. We license tons of really great, like breakbeats and jungle and drum and bass that we think fits the fighting great and is a lot of new up and coming artists that are producing that. So we put some of that music behind and then you get like this really strong fight saying it happening in a real world location that is punchy and strong that people react to. So that's a whole category that we've been doing that is doing great for us already. Our conversion rate CTRs are looking really good compared to general market trends. And so that's one category. Then the other category is just in-game footage, because at this point, just seeing AR happen with this fidelity in a real world setting is also something people haven't seen before. So it immediately does turn heads. So we're just capturing a lot of fights happening in the real world directly with the phone. And we think that's going to be a big engine for growth over time when people can do that as well. When people can go in, record their fights in different locations, make interesting content. It looks different. It looks unique. You get avatars in it that are digital. You get the effects in it. You get sounds in it. And you get a real world space in it in which you can make jokes and someone can be behind like doing something weird and the people in comments will be talking about it. So that's a whole category that we're doing. And then we have basically like just memes and just absolute like craziness. You know, we have some people that just go and make some insane videos and like try to also follow some trends and like try to contribute to trends with AR related videos. And that's another category that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. So that's, those are some of the buckets that we're looking at. I always encourage folks to make sure that if you do decide to do uh, recording features or social features that, you know, the, the best marketers for your products are the players and not necessarily you. And if you give them the right tools and the right ways to play into humor, especially, uh, this sounds like it's very well set up to deliver humor in a way that's going to give people the, the, the chance to want to share it because you want to authentically share your content that comes from your product. It sounds like you've built those inside of the game in anticipation for this. Yeah, we're actually auto recording every match. So when you go have a match, you don't even have to think about recording it. When the match is mm -hmm. over, present you with a pre-recorded cut up video of the best parts that says, share it. I love that. So just to wrap here. So Jadu Fighting in AR launches on October 10th, coming up next week. Is there anything else that we didn't get a chance to cover that you wanted to let the audience know about? I think. This was incredibly thorough and thank you for all the questions around AR in particular. I hope this was worthwhile for your um, listeners as well. And yeah, I know the main thing I would say is this is what we're releasing here is a starting point and we have a lot of updates coming out to it. We're doing bundle drops for your avatar on a weekly basis. We're doing tournaments with cash prizes on a bi-weekly basis. Um, we have, you know, new characters, new modes, new campaigns launching quite regularly. I'm actually very excited about the characters we're launching in January, February, and March, um, because our process has gotten really good now. Our product velocity is strong. I think we've done this enough cycles that at this point, what we're making, like I can just look at it and be that's, that's unique, interesting, and it works well in mobile ARs. So that's what I want people to keep in mind. This is an evolving product and we're not going anywhere anytime soon. 
This is amazing. I want to follow up with you and see how it does. My spidey sense tells me that you're going to do some brand extensions and branded folks are going to be calling you soon, asking for their own AR game with the way that you're approaching AR in a new way on mobile. Asad, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a 